Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Action fanatics, welcome to another edition of the Bulletproof Podcast. Chris the Brain and Chad Cruz with you. And Chad, sometimes we have special guests on this show, but today we have a very special guest. We do indeed, and we, we like to think that we have experts that come on the show and teach us a thing or two, as well as the listeners. But today we may have the expert on uh, one of the most important topics we may ever discuss on this podcast. Yeah, we are talking about Austin Trunick, the author of Canon Film Guide, Volume 1 and 2. Austin, welcome to the Bulletproof Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. That was a heck of an introduction. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> you know, sometimes my old uh, pro wrestling background comes in and I can really hype hype somebody up. But you deserve that hype. It, you, you will believe the hype, people, after we're through with this. Because, you know, Chad, you and I, you know, we kind of owe... Canon films for starting our website and starting our podcast. Cause I don't think if we were both, if we weren't both Canon film fans that these things would even exist. Right. You know, Canon films is kind of like that foundational thing for this site where, you know, our, our love of action films kind of grew from that. And uh, the roots run deep and, and uh, from, from bulletproof action into Canon and, Anytime we can talk about Canon, I mean, what, how many times have we talked about Canon films on? Not enough. Yeah, not well, there you go. Not enough, but there, there's always room for more. But yeah, so we, we made a website, we did a podcast, but Austin, you took your love of Canon to a whole different level. How, yeah. how did you come up with, was this something that, did you have an epiphany one night? How did this come about that you have written these amazing books, these thorough books, detailed? I mean, these are like my official, they're like my uh, Encyclopedia Britannica's basically right now. <laughs> I, I turn to them at all times. Some people might uh, call it an unhealthy obsession uh, that I, that I have, but no, I, I think I probably have a the same similar background to to the both of you. I kind of came up uh, came of age in this sort of glory era of action. Uh, the, I remember it as the the video store era. I saw a lot of these movies for the first time on VHS, running them with my father back in the late eighties and into the early nineties. And yeah, I'd been writing about film and. Uh, interviewing people for magazines. I'd been a freelance writer for a long time, but I was really trying to, I spent a lot of time trying to think of a project that I would really keep me occupied, keep me interested, but was also near and dear to my heart. And it kept coming back to Canon. This was the, this was the company that made the movies that I, that made me fall in love with movies. This was, this was that started the addiction, started the wanting to, you know, go to the store and I, you know, learning an actor or learning a director and wanting to see what else they did and remembering faces and names and associating with each other, which 
is that's where my love of movies began as a kid. So when the Canon Film Guide, uh, that idea started coming together, it was purely because I, I was going back to <laughs> to the movies that made me fall in love with just the medium of film. Yeah, we could definitely relate to that. And uh, and you've I mean, you've even gone to like locations that the Canon films had been done. And I know you even went to the original like Death Wish where, where Paul Kersey first was killing thugs and and uh, muggers. Yeah, those are some of my favorite. That's one of my favorite things to do. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of these locations are in places that are accessible. Someday I'll head to South Africa or the Philippines to see some where some of these uh, American Ninja and Missing in Action movies were filmed. But uh, that'll be in the future. But right now it's something that, you know, I, I try to plan it into trips if we're going somewhere close, much to uh, much to my 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 wife and children's chagrin most of the time. The Death Wish locations when I was in New York, I was visiting with my sister. So she actually is the one that took all the the photos of that I've posted of myself standing on the Death Wish steps and things like that. And she was very understanding. <laughs> She was she was a sport about looking at him like this is the shot from the movies or this shot from the poster. Can you try to frame it the same way? And I have a lot of fun doing that sort of thing. I could I could see Brain visiting the blind beggar bar fight. Oh yeah, that'd location be awesome. and really loving that place. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm glad you have enablers in your life, Austin, because everybody needs some of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are yeah, definitely enablers is a good way to put it. They are. Uh, they're supportive. They're very supportive. A lot of yeah. people. Well, I want to. I want to test some of your knowledge. Maybe you can help. One of our uh, readers left us a comment on bulletproofaction.com, and we certainly encourage anybody who checks out the site and reads the various articles that we've posted over the nearly eight years we've been in business. Uh, feel free to leave us a comment. But Major had a question, and I said, "Well, this is perfect timing because." If anybody would know this answer, it would be you. We're talking Death Wish 3. The famous scene at the beginning where Paul Kersey is arrested unjustly for killing Charlie. He didn't kill Charlie. He didn't kill him at all. But anyway, he gets in the, he's in the holding cell. There's a big bald guy who tore the toilet out for, for reasons <laughs> nobody understands and ends up with his head between the bars. Who Do you know who that guy is? Unfortunately, I do not know his name. I can uh, picture him. I can. He's he's got that great tattoo. spider web tattoo on his yeah. head, and yeah. he's scary looking. And he only has that very brief one line, and gets his head jammed through the bars. But sadly, I do not know his name. Uh, yeah. Maybe Paul Talbot would be somebody. Who, That's true too. I, we can, I would we can reach out to Paul. Yeah, that well, would be my first instinct is to email paul because if paul doesn't know something about a charles bronson movie it's it's knowledge that's lost to time yeah uh, that's a good point so yeah i will reach out to paul sorry major we tried with uh, uh sorry with i'm sorry but we'll, we'll try with paul talbot of course who did the bronson's loose books uh also you know you got you listeners could really fill out your library just mm-hmm. listening to this this podcast chad we we're encouraging reading we are reading is fundamental. Yeah, it's good every once in a while to pick up a book. You know, sometimes I set my beer on top of a book. Yeah, but, uh, so it's a little higher. The ergonomics are better, but but it's also good to read them at times. Yeah, I've got about uh, ten pages into a book that I was reading, and then I got Austin's book, and I started, you know, 
that just overtook it with the the canon film guide. So, and that again is a that's available right now, volume one and two now available, of course, on Amazon. And I think on Bear Manor Media as well. Isn't that correct, Austin? That is correct. Yeah, and even through local bookstores, if you've got a, Obviously, if you're lucky enough to still live near near <laughs> one, you can they can order it for you. So there's there's a lot of places to get it now, which is pretty awesome. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right. Well, we are going to be discussing the great Chuck Norris here in a moment, but we're going to pause for a break. When we return, it'll be our Chuck Norris countdown. All right, we are back with more of the Bulletproof podcast. And specifically, we're going to be talking Chuck Norris. Chad, we had the big one. You mentioned it earlier. We had the big post you mentioned it before we even started recording. July 4th, we counted down Chuck Norris's top 10 canon movies. Yeah, what better way to celebrate the, uh, the, the Declaration of Independence being signed, the, the birth of our country, than to chat about one of the greatest action stars of all time, and that is Chuck Norris, and, and, and a guy who kind of became the canon man. You know, you had Charles Bronson, you had Chuck Norris, and you had Michael Dudikoff, but the one that I, you know you can't stop thinking about when you think of Canon is Chuck Norris. So you know when we talked about how many films had he done for Canon, how many became hits, and there were always obviously a couple of misses there as well. So that makes it fun. That makes the countdown exciting because you've got some that aren't as good, and usually those make for the best discussions. <laughs> and yeah, Austin helped us out with that as well as will slater from exploding helicopter and of course big mike leader he wrote an epic novel himself for our for the, one of the films and uh, you, we encourage you to check out the post after you're done here with us uh that of course bulletproofaction.com but let's get started guys with the countdown and number 10 on the list not a surprise to me probably not a surprise to many people it is hellbound 1994 this one directed by aaron norris uh, this one actually Chuck's last movie with Canon, if I'm not mistaken. That that is correct. Uh, he technically the first few episodes and the pilot movie for Walker, one um, one riot, one riot, one ranger were done through Canon Television. But this is, I mean, truly his last Canon film. Yeah, and yeah, he, this is after, of course, the the Menachem Golan and Yorm Globus split. So mm -hmm. like. Yoram got uh, Chuck in the divorce settlement, I guess. <laughs> yes, yes, and uh, and Menachem must have gotten gotten Charlie. Charlie, Charlie Brown. Yeah. five. And this one uh, directed by Aaron Norris. Uh, one of the big things I, I, you know, I recently rewatched this for the first time in years, and you know, it's it's fun, uh, but I think it's not the Chuck Norris people were expecting. Would you say that's accurate, Chad Cruz? Yeah, I mean, it really does feel like Chuck. Uh... I don't know if it's an attempt to do something different. 
Um, I, I feel like there's a couple of times throughout his canon uh, filmography, you know, uh, a couple of movies we'll talk about later where he really attempts to go a different direction. You know, he's not doing Braddock. He's not doing Delta Force. He's like, you know, he's trying Firewalker or something. So uh, this felt like something that was an attempt, but probably a miss for most people. Mm-hmm. I I just like that Kelvin levels was in it because the only thing I ever remembered him in other than this was Adventures in Babysitting, which is a freaking <laughs> awesome movie in and of itself. And we get Sherry J. Wilson. You mentioned Walker. We get a little Sherry J. Wilson, Austin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she uh, she jumped from this straight into to Walker with with Chuck, and it was because of the great experience they liked working together on this. So. Yeah, they they ended up having a great long uh, television career together. So we can't say nothing good came out of Hellbound. There you go. Yeah, definite chemistry between the two. Right. And Mm -hmm. we see kind of those partnerships that that Chuck has with other actors, you know, whether it be uh, Steve James or um, he he works with some of the same people multiple times over his career and over this Mm -hmm. even this canon period. Mm-hmm. Billy Drago being another one uh, that's Chuck, uh, a guy Chuck liked, seemed to like, and kept bringing him back in. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's <laughs> any any time I see Billy Drago in a movie, we'll talk about him plenty today. But I light up, and I'm glad that he and Chuck had a nice uh, working relationship. All right, number nine, another one that really wasn't a surprise, Hitman 1991, uh, again, directed by Aaron Norris. I think really the standout thing here is freaking Michael Parks is in the movie, Mm -hmm. who's a scene stealer. It is a something that is a regular occurrence through, I think, most of the movies on our list here tonight is that they, Canon had a good way of picking bad guys and sidekicks for for chuck they surrounded him with a with fun fun casts and and michael parks is another one he's someone who um i i mean i think of him from twin peaks is 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 the first thing that comes to mind for me him as a him as a character but he's 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 really good in this he's really slimy and in my opinion this this movie has two two great things (laughs) going for it too two um chuck high points and that is chuck's mullet it's oh, yeah. definitely the most the the coolest hair that um that he has in any film and and michael parks and i, I when i think of hitman i instantly think of the the salt off over under shotgun and like you said the mullet the mullet this is like pre you know van damme hard target mullet too I was going to ask you, the, Chad, yeah. which mullet's better, Van now, Damme's I, or Norris? I'm still going to go with Van Damme's mullet, but the dust, the black duster jacket with the black like long sleeve underneath it that Chuck wears in this. I mean, as a as a ensemble like as a costume, that's pretty that's pretty hard to beat. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that and then Hitman, of course, they they do such a good job of. Uh, I mean, Chuck's like almost ghost-like in a few scenes. Like he's just like coming out of the mist and out of the out of the smoke. So it's it's such a cool scene. And I can't get out of my mind every time I've seen Hitman. I think of uh, sidekicks when they spoof the scene and sidekicks, and it just it's so on point in that movie. And I know he's in both movies, obviously, so he's kind of poking fun of himself, but it, it's just so perfect. Yeah, there is that whole B storyline with the kid. Too. It's like. Yeah, were you getting ready for the next leg of your 
your uh, action career where you do more of the family friendly forest yeah. warrior anyone top dog is there top top dog yeah. right sidekicks mm-hmm. as you mentioned and michael parks death wish five that's what i remember him from yeah yes all right number eight on the list 1988's hero and the terror do you believe i've had two people now one of which is aaron williams who's always listening to the bulletproof podcast that's his absolute favorite chuck norris i had somebody else say this is their absolute favorite chuck norris movie obviously not many people think that because it's number eight on the list but uh again kind of a a little bit of a departure from what uh, we were used to from chuck Mm -hmm. this was very a very intentional departure on on chuck's part he during the promotional promoting this film for for canon he'd said many times that he was tired of critics saying he couldn't act or that he didn't act or that he was one note or one dimensional. So he really wanted to play a character where he could silence the critics in his words and whether or not he succeeded with that, uh, I'll leave that to you guys and the listeners to, to decide. But this was very much a effort for Chuck to show a sensitive, vulnerable side that maybe he didn't have before. One of my favorite comments from that same sort of press cycle he did, he talked to every local newspaper back in the day. He was really beating the drum for this movie, trying to promote it himself. He had said it was the only movie he had made that his wife liked, (laughs) that uh, he wasn't just dragging her to. And he was saying this was the movie that was going to get women to see Chuck Norris films. And this was the movie that women were going to be dragging uh, their husbands to see rather than the other way around. So it's interesting. Again, again, I, if any of the uh, female listeners want to, I'm sure we have, we we have tons of them (laughs) (laughs) and let us know if this is the, uh, the, the, the movie that get the Chuck Norris movie that gets them sitting down the quickest to watch it. Yeah, the the it, two well, God, obviously Aaron is a male. The other person who said this was was also a male. So I've not heard anything from the female audience. Well, uh, you know that Chuck Wars's wife loves it. <laughs> the, and, and yeah, he does kind of have that more of a romantic storyline in there, which you did not obviously get in the Delta Force or an Invasion but, USA. But by the end of the film, it breaks down into your usual Chuck Norris kicks a guy a couple dozen times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, what a you, he's the hero, obviously, the terror yeah. of Jack O'Halloran from mm-hmm. Superman. I mean, he's a Kryptonian villain. I mean, it's hard to beat that. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He is a gigantic, gigantic human being for, for Chuck Norris to be kicking. <laughs> Definitely probably the largest opponent that I remember of Chuck ever, ever uh, yeah. squaring up against. I think so. And then you get Steve James in, a, in a, yet another sidekick role for Cannon. Why don't you think Steve ever got the chance to be a star of a Canon movie? They, I mean, obviously they liked his work. He was in a yeah. ton of movies, but why was he always the sidekick? I honestly don't know. It is very unfortunate that he never got that chance because Canon seems like the obvious place for him to do that. Right. And as the the one movie he, he when he took a brief break from canon during this period he went to make riverbend with sam furstenberg a, mm-hmm. a canon regular and really got to be the lead of that and, and shine but 
that was something he made when several canon people kind of <laughs> stepped and did something away from canon. So I'm not sure why. I've, I have not, I don't have a good answer for why Steve James, I mean, why canon didn't give him that chance, right. but why anybody didn't give him that chance. I don't know yeah. how you could watch him on screen and not think this guy sh- should rightfully, you know, he should be a, up there, the top, one of these top action stars. And so, yeah, we get Steve James in a familiar role, but we get Billy Drago in a good guy role. <laughs> That's that, rare as well. That, yeah, very rare. Very rare. Yeah. Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, Chuck Chuck liked Billy, so they they happened to work, work together a few times. And yeah, anytime Billy Drago can show up and, and be slimy, that's great. But if he's going to show up and be surprisingly nice, it's, it makes watching this movie funny because I, I kind of expect his character to be Right. Have have something up his sleeve or have a sudden twist where, you know, he's he's working with the terror or something. And how many times I've seen Hero and the Terror, I still see Billy Jarek on the screen and assume he's going to do something evil at some <laughs> point in the film. I feel that way about John P. Ryan in, in the Delta <laughs> Force too, but we'll get to that in a bit. Mm-hmm. All right. Number seven on the list from 1986. Canon was determined to get a piece of that Indiana Jones pie. And here's one of their attempts. Firewalker, directed by Jay Lee Thompson and Chad Cruz, alongside Chuck Norris, is the national treasure that is Louis Gossett Jr. Yeah, we. I mean, we could do a post for Louis Gossett Jr. just like this at some point, I think, in the future. And and, uh, I don't think anyone complains. So, uh, yeah, Louis Gossett Jr. as uh, one of your – top two leading men is just money in the bank right there and putting them up next to Chuck Norris and, and having a kind of like that comedy flair to it and the adventure flair to it. And, you know, you add in Melody Anderson from flash Gordon and like, it's just a, it, it really is a fun film. And I don't think it knocked anyone's socks off uh, as far as like, you know, box office wise, or I don't know if anyone's choosing this movie to be their favorite Chuck Norris film um, because it is slightly different from his other films. But uh, it's just a load of fun. Yeah, it's one that every time I watch it, I like it more. Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely grown on me over the years. This this is a movie that, well, I I think Canon even if you I I have their one of their old press kits for this movie, where where they would send out the photos and the press notes and information to journalists who were reviewing it, so they'd have something to work from and hopefully they'd be enticed to go see a review. Uh, critic screening and and get coverage for the film but the press release begins chuck norris in a comedy question mark (laughs) and then it proceeds into the description of a firewalker and when when your official company press release when the company itself seems surprised to see chuck norris in a comedy i think that kind of frames where chuck norris (laughs) was at this point in his career this how this movie sort of came to canon is is kind of funny to me. The uh, screenwriter, Robert Kuznell, who at least I, maybe there were other credited screenwriters uh, by the time it came out, but he was basically had sent in, this in as a spec script because Indiana Jones movies were, and that sort of adventure movie was very popular at the time with the Romancing the Stone and the Quatermain movies, the Indiana Jones movies, all sort of being... Topping the box office, doing very well. So he sent, he basically wrote a script in that style 
thinking a spec script, thinking that this isn't anything that anybody's going to make, but somebody might read it and give me a job. And he had basically been hoping to get uh, one of the writer's jobs on number one with a bullet, which was a another canon movie that went through so many different writers, so many different stars. By the time it came out, it was kind of forgotten about. But for a while, canon was really leaning to that project. But anyways, the script was laying somewhere on a desk or on a coffee table in one of the canon offices and when Chuck was in there and sort of looking for his next project. And he saw it and picked it up and started flipping through it. And Chuck loved it. <laughs> and so they called up the screenwriter and said, hey, you know, we're going to buy your script. And he's he's confused because he's like, oh, did I get the did I get the job? Did I get the one I was applying for? Did I sort of to write on number one of the bullet? And they said, no, we are buying the sample script you you sent us and we're going to make it. Chuck Norris is going to star in it. And it's just a, this was this was a script that wasn't really meant for public consumption, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but because Chuck liked it and he decided that this was going to be his, his next movie. And I think it's fun. This got some very fun things in it. Um, Melody Anderson, Melody Anderson is great. You have uh, the, a great relationship with uh, Lou Gossett Jr. They've got a, a very good uh, repartee uh, in there. And um, uh, Sean Reese Davies is in it right yeah you can't, you can't have an indiana jones ripoff without him <laughs> no no and even if he needs to only show up for five minutes like he does in this and this was actually the first of a three movie contract that canon signed with lou gossett jr and those other two movies never came to be <laughs> oh boy. He, he he did firewalker he filled the first one in his in this contract and the second movie was something that was announced called the white slave and it was lou gossett jr basically investigating a as a detective investigating a basically a slave trade you know a sex trade um right. um ring but that never that never came to be and there was never any third movie discussed that i could ever find well i think he was supposed to be doc in a gi joe movie but that may have been just something i made up for the website yeah, yeah. <laughs> That sounds um, wonderful, by the way. Uh, and and what about the villain? Number one, you name him El Coyote, and then number two, you get, get Sonny Landham to play him, and that's terrifying, Chad Cruz. Absolutely he is. terrifying. Yeah, I mean, you have to be terrified of him on screen and off screen, so it, it works <laughs> double for you. Yeah, he is a frightening, frightening dude. Even in like very kind of like silly cliche costumes that he wears in this movie, he's still manages to be intimidating while dressed like a lone ranger villain <laughs> but i mean this, you... I, I i i was just thinking that i think of this movie and i think of the the bullets ricocheting and chuck never being able to shoot his guy and i still i still laugh thinking about that that's one of my favorite jokes in this film that recurs throughout it yeah it's like chuck was having a good time with this and now that you you've told the story like he just was into this script to begin with it makes sense that he was having such a good time yeah, and we get we get him the, the 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 they get to have him in disguise, and he gets to do some you know Goof, makes the goofy. They're taking the pictures with the he's making goofy faces. Like when, where else do you see that on a Chuck Norris movie? Right, and, nowhere. And, and Austin mentioned it earlier. They you know Canon did such a good job when it came to Chuck Norris films because they flood these films with like likable actors and likable characters and. 
you know, a, a scene doesn't go by where you don't recognize and enjoy one of the actors in the scene. So it's, it's hard to dislike the movie that much when, you know, every other scene has Louis Gossett Jr. Or, or, you know, John Reese Davies or something like that in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good, good cast in this one for something that again was, was a script that was written that was not really meant to ever be <laughs> made into a movie. That's one of like maybe the first Chuck Norris facts is he can make a movie that's not even supposed to be made. <laughs> there you go. That's that's a that's that's a, a very true Chuck Norris fact. I mean, with our, our, the next film on our list might be the very first uh, what the uh, multiverse film. Right. Yes, I think can, timeline. Canon, canon exposed the multiverse long ago because <laughs> we're talking about it. number six. It's Braddock missing in action three. From 1988, and this one, Austin, they just said, screw what happened in the first two movies. We're making up a new story for uh, Braddock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This, yeah, Missing Action 3 is a lot of fun. He's got uh, some of the best, one of, one of my favorite Chuck Norris firearms, this side of his rocket launching bike from Delta Force. He's got <laughs> that. I mean, I'm, I'm not a guy who can name every gun, but it's got... It's got the the knife, the bayonet on the end, and it can shoot grenades. And it's a machine gun. And there seems to be like he—it he, just seems to he—he he never runs out of bullets or shells or yeah, anything in either one of them. It's it's definitely one of the coolest uh, video game style weapons that Chuck Norris ever got to play with. It's like the uh, Swiss Army knife of guns. It has everything in it, everything you need. Mm -hmm. And it's got the uh, one of. One of Canon's, actually, probably the actor that appeared in more Canon, more Golden Globus productions than any other, uh, Yehuda Afroni, who is a right. Isra Israeli actor who plays the uh, the priest in the yeah. uh, in in the film, and he he, I mean, you see him everywhere in, in Canon movies, but he's in he's in Delta Force, he's in the Hercules movies, he's in. <laughs> It's I, I he's somebody who as a canon fan, what's the the image you see of Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the, the screen <laughs> yes. that everybody uses um online the meme. That's he he's he's the guy that makes me do that when I'm watching canon films. Did now did he work with Menachem like before Menachem came to America? Yes, yeah. Okay. You go back all the way back to the beginning. He was working with Menachem from really when Menachem started. That makes sense then. Mm -hmm. loyalty that's good akia leong is a general quok here but yeah like we mentioned braddock chad has a wife he has a kid this this was never mentioned and, and the timeline contradicts what we saw in the first two movies but like you said it's it's the multiverse it is i think that's <laughs> the only explanation for it and but you know what it it even saying all that it's still a really cool movie the action sequences are still really good. You get like maximum Chuck Norris in it, you know, tortures mm -hmm. and jumping out of planes and cool ass weapons. It, it it's I mean, I don't know if if they just decided like okay after I don't want to say debacle, but after missing an action one and two, kind of did the old flip flop. Like if they were just going to change it up and do something different, I don't get it. But uh, yeah, it, it still works as a film. The it does. and. Yeah, and the and and the ending. Not to spoil too much, but the <laughs> the finale of of missing in action three is pretty uh pretty fantastic. With the I just think that the the 
jeep or the truckload full of uh rescued orphans rumbling as like helicopters are chasing it and chuck trying to get across the border it's 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 pretty uh pretty intense yeah so if you can get by the alternate timeline it's a great film if, if you're gonna get caught up with that you'll probably hate it but yeah just it. don't do like a three movie uh, <laughs> yeah you don't like splurge and watch all three together because yeah you'll, you might out. give yourself a headache yes it's not good for your eyes no no all right number five delta force Two: the colombian connection chad you want to guess who this one was directed by uh, oh man, Chuck Norris film from Canon. I'm gonna go with Aaron Norris. You you got it. You got it, man. Uh, this one though, I don't. This was not originally supposed to be a Delta Force movie. Is that correct, Austin? Uh, Delta Force the the Delta Force sequels are one of the most convoluted. Um, <laughs> Canon had so many different plans on how to follow up the the first Delta Force movie. You had. Delta Force, you had the Delta Force 2 originally that was going to be Norris and Lee Marvin again, and Michael Winner was directing. And that fell apart pretty quick because uh, Marvin's health, Marvin died before they could basically, before they could make it. There was briefly a version when Chuck was looking in other directions where they had Michael Dudikoff and Steve James uh, starring in a version called Spitfire which Albert Pune was going to direct and I'm sure would have been absolutely oh insane, <laughs> oh boy. Which, which never came to be. Yeah, I, but I, I would have loved to have seen that. It was a, a kind of a similar plot um, to this as sort of a, the two of them stopping an international like drug, drug Lord, but that didn't happen. Uh, we had America's red army, which was, uh, another version of of Delta Force Two that was was planned, and it would have been Scott McCoy and his Delta Force uh, teammates teaming up with the uh, so the USSR, the Soviet Union's version of the Delta Force. And Chuck would have learned when he was talking about making that he was going to learn Russian, and there were going to be scenes where Chuck Norris would be speaking Russian. So uh, we we may have. Uh, saved ourselves from having to see a movie that <laughs> Chuck with Chuck Norris speaking in a oh, foreign yeah. language with subtitles for yeah. a, a large part of it. If people yeah, thought I, that Kevin Costner learning the English accent was bad, you should <laughs> hear Chuck with the Russian. Dialogue. Yeah, I don't know if, if Chuck speaking Russian, if we could have had that uh, post on 4th of July it may have, it may have ruined his American hero status. I don't know. Yeah. I, could have dubbed I mean, it for him. I would have just hoped that maybe like that would have been right around the time that, maybe they could have gotten Dolph to do it. You know, this would have been right post Rocky, you know, just done masters for him. Maybe, maybe we would have had a team up of Dolph Lundgren and Chuck Norris working together in a Delta force too. But this is the Delta force. We finally, finally got, (laughs) and I, I like it. I, this is the one I I picked to, to write about for, for this, this ranking article. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and it's a, it, I think again, it's kind of like with Braddock, if you just take it for what it is and don't yeah. try to compare it to the, the movie that came before it, it's a fun movie. If you're not saying like, where's Steve James, where's the music from the first one? Obviously you could say, where's Lee Marvin, but you, you'll get the answer to that, unfortunately, pretty quickly. Um, but we do get Billy Drago in the role he's meant to be in 
mm-hmm. as the main villain, a drug lord. Uh, and in that scene with the, the airplane scene at the beginning, mm-hmm. just, just amazing. Just that's yeah. like that, that will like that hooks you right away. And, uh, and John P. Ryan's great line, always the hard way <laughs> right there. I, this is another one where the flip-flop you mentioned Billy Drago in a good guy role. And this is John P. Ryan playing a good guy. And he, yeah. even as a good guy, he, he scares me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was waiting for him to like, it was all a setup. He's evil, but he's, he just kind of takes over the Robert Vaughn role from the first one. It's like, Hey, this is what you got to do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he is. I, and I still, and I know you mentioned we're, we're going to go off Chuck Norris here for a moment, but he was obviously the villain in death wish Four. for Canon fans know this, but he never had his character, never had an actual name. How bizarre no. is that? No, that is true. He, you never get his, what his character's real name is. You just get, I think it's Mr. White. If Mr. I remember. White, yes. Yeah. Nathan, I think Nathan, Nathan White. White. That's correct. Yeah, it's never revealed because even in the screenplays, the two different versions yeah. that I've read, he's just referred to as Nathan White, even after he's revealed even he's, that he's, he's a not imposter, right? Ridiculous. Right. The script refers to him even as he's dying as Nathan White. <laughs> <laughs> There's also the uh, big limo scene where the limo is driving through the jungle mm-hmm. in, in this one. And I think I've seen that. F- I don't remember what movie I was watching, but it was one of those where they obviously took stock footage from this film and he plugged it in. It was probably a Jim Wynorski film because uh, he was pretty good for doing that. I, I think Delta force two, you know, first lesson, get Chuck Norris. Second lesson, where the hell is Aaron Norris? <laughs> Next lesson, Billy Drag- Drago is a bad guy. And then, uh, you know, school's out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, all you need. it's all you need. Wind, wind it up and let it go. All right. Number four on the list, it is missing in action to the beginning. Of course, Jed, you mentioned this earlier, the flip-flop. This was supposed to be just missing in action, but uh, they decided to hold off and make this a prequel. And this is one of the first times I remember in my young days hearing the word prequel. I think the only other one would have been Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. But this one directed by Lance Houle, Austin. Mm Mm-hmm. So yes, this this was something that ended up being a. I mean, the 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 way the missing in action movies came out ended up being a very nice accidental, uh, <laughs> great thing for canon. Um, it looks like a great move in hindsight, but it all just happened that way, kind of, kind of because it had to. This is a missing action two is a movie that at the time canon had a first look deal with uh, Warner Brothers and they were shooting Missing in Action 2. They had rough cuts together. Before finishing Missing in Action 2, they had already decided that they wanted to do a sequel. And so they had called up uh, screenwriter uh, James Bruner, who had written another movie called Missing in Action that Chuck had brought to the company. Very, very funny, weird weird story there but he called him down and he was able to kind of rewrite his mission in action script as what became ultimately the missing in action we know but while he was down there while they were finishing up shooting this they also had him basically write a trailer (laughs) for a sequel 
and they were kind of as they had time shooting little bits of basically this is i'm still like now my brain is breaking still this is something i've thought (laughs) a lot of time thinking about it but trying to like put this together they had him write a sequel to missing in action 2 which was actually they were shooting this footage for what would eventually go into missing in action one, <laughs> but as a sequel to missing in action two and just a very, so they, they, this ultimately never, they never used that footage. That trailer was never released or even James Brunner doesn't know what, what became of it or even if they finished cutting it together. But anyways, they took the script that he had already written and he and Chuck had taken a cannon and they went and shot it pretty much back to back with, what became missing in action to the beginning. They shot missing in action. Warner brothers saw missing in action Two, didn't really care for it and said no. And then Canon realized that the first missing in action as evidenced by the rankings here <laughs> is the, the better of the two movies. And because the Warner brothers had already passed on a missing in action movie, they went ahead and released the better one themselves and it became a number one hit for them. So it was just a very, very weird way of falling backwards into <laughs> a number one movie at the box office. And yes, yeah, because yeah, yeah. that what that was isn't that the that and uh, Breaking were like the, the two big. Yes, those were their two big. Even for all the movies Canon made and all the history they had after this, their two most profitable films wow. that they had done. They both came in 1984 and both came pretty unexpectedly. But yes, missing in action to the beginning. Yeah, they finally went and ended up releasing it them the after after missing in action, which was supposed to be the sequel. So that's how it got the very funny title, missing in action to the beginning. And I wonder how confused people were <laughs> as I looking at I only really have critics reviews, newspaper reviews who these guys clearly got the um the the press notes and everything so they knew what what the deal was with this being a prequel and they had to explain to them but i, I am sure that people had seen missing in action you know a few months earlier all the people that made it into a number one hit went to see the sequel and were like what the what the heck is going on here with the timeline <laughs> I, like we're confused by the braddock timeline like i'm trying oh, to yeah. imagine people who went to see this in the spring of 1985 yeah, just yeah just months apart yeah they canon but yeah how quickly that swap happened i actually have i'll when this when this goes up i'll i'll take up some pictures and post them around but the press kits for missing in action which are actually the press notes for missing in action too but with <laughs> an action note low it's so canon actually went and printed marketing materials for the, wow. with this movie as the first film and then decided to reprint them and when they swapped everything it's oh my, my, my brain hurts guys well <laughs> thankfully they reprinted them and then they didn't just release them because you know printing materials can be expensive yes i could yes. i could see canon just reusing the same materials <laughs> <laughs> just send it to them whatever just writing in sharpie a two <laughs> yeah like on the on each on the front of each uh the cover yeah and again i will agree that the what is missing in action is the better movie, but I don't think this one's too bad, Chad. I, I, I yeah. kind of like the whole, he's, you know, it's the whole thing. He's in the POW camp and you got mm-hmm. soon Teko, who's a tremendous villain. Um, 
Toro Tanaka's in this too, I believe. Of course. Uh, the uh, evil ninja from Ninja 3 is in there as well as one of the underlings. And you got Steven Williams as, as kind of a traitor. He's yeah. kind of like, yeah, let's just go along with what they say so we, we can get out of here and uh, kind of selling out his fellow American soldiers. Yeah, I think you get some of these, those POW movies were, were coming out in the early 80s, mid 80s. And uh, this kind of has a lot of those similar uh, themes to it, uh, but with Chuck Norris. So he's kind of, you know, you just insert Chuck Norris into any film and he still plays Chuck Norris, but it's still a cool film and, and the scenes are, are made that much better for him being there. But you also get, you know, the, the cool fight at the end with Soon Tae Ko where mm-hmm. he, you know, did, do you, did you really think at any point that Chuck was going to lose? No. Um, he does get hit a couple of times though. But in well, the end, plus it's the prequel, so you know he's alive. Well, obviously, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, by no means a a bad Chuck Norris movie. I think it's really solid. Yeah, just the if you're going to launch an action hero or an action franchise or really Chuck Norris into this next level of action stardom, the what be what they what became the the actual missing in action first missing in action movie is just a just a better way to launch a yeah. launch a hero rather than one who's getting tortured for half the movie, I guess. Well, who yeah. knew they were doing an origin film, but they did one. It's right. what marvelous for Shannon again. It's just ahead of the times at <laughs> the time, 30 years ahead of the time rat right in the bag though. I mean, that's Ugh. some it's... excellent torturing. You know, they, you know, we've got some torture scenes in action films is one of my favorite little things to go to, you know, whether it's ele- electrocution or, Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Electrocution or, you know, you, like you watched that showdown in little Tokyo scene. On a yes. So many times pop those shirts off and start zapping people. <laughs> but, uh, and, and for whatever reason, it always seems like, uh, Asian bad guys do the best torture scenes. So, <laughs> and you know, this is a good one. All right. Well, hopefully we haven't totally confused ourselves or our <laughs> listeners because number three on the list is the real, Missing in Action, 1984, the the what became the first film, directed by Joe Zito. Um, and question I have for you is, and I've heard this, maybe, probably, I hope I didn't read it in your book, and I'm going to just ask you if what I read in your book is right. <laughs> but the Spider-Man cartoon that that uh, Braddock's watching, did Canon have that in there because they had the Spider-Man deal at that point? And Missing in Action, that would have predated the Spider-Man deal. Okay, so there you that go. Was... So that was, see, that was not, see, that's bullcrap. Some you idiot true, wrote that somewhere. <laughs> you want the true information, pick up the Canon Film Guide. But yeah, that's what oh, I had wow. heard was that the reason you had that in there was because, uh, yeah. They, that would have they, been they, a, yeah, that would have been a premonition at that point. Okay, well, there you game, go. Well, then, as we've said, Canon was ahead of the game. <laughs> But yeah, this one's great. M. Emmett Walsh as Jack Tucker. And again, we've talked about it surrounding Chuck with wonderful supporting characters. And he's one of my favorites. I mean, we see him at a whorehouse. <laughs> uh, he's kind of a deadbeat and he's a wonderful, wonderful. He kind of reminds me of Chad Cruz, I think. Thank you. You're welcome. Very great compliment. <laughs> he, um, yeah, he, he's... <laughs> just this sort of yeah very fun uh character who is yeah really there to fill a lot of needs to uh move chuck norris's uh action forward like uh and then walsh kind of just 
yeah, it really helps push Chuck in a way that keep, keeps the movie moving. Yeah, and, and he's very reluctant to help, but, you know, he always does the right thing. Goes mm-hmm. above and beyond, too, before it's all said and done. So, great character. You also have James Hong, who's wonderful. We just talked about him a few episodes ago when we talked Big Trouble in Little China, Chad, and he's uh, an evil General Tran in this one. Yeah, he's in uh, uh, so many movies, uh, so many films, TV shows, and another guy who plays a great bad guy. And, and also, you know, you can lovingly enjoy his his roles as a good guy. But um, in this film, you're either Chuck Norris or you're a bad guy. <laughs> he's coming pretty, after yeah, you. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty mm-hmm. much. And then that big dramatic ending. That, that's something you always – the helicopter comes in and he comes in with a – oh, that's pretty that's like just like f you yeah (laughs) i knew i was right all along and here's the damn proof of it it's it's an amazing ending i love that ending Mm -hmm. yeah it makes you want to see a sequel slash prequel (laughs) why is he so pissed off at these guys well you'll find out in the yeah you'll yeah exactly you will find out so yeah, it all makes sense. Maybe that's why I liked the ending even more after I saw the second one. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and then you know what? Stay tuned for a third one where we change things up a bit, <laughs> but he's still not happy. No, he, he is definitely not. All right. Number two on the list. And again, number one, number two, I think we knew going in, it was going to be one of these. Number two is the Delta Force, 1986. And is there anything more canon than when Menachem Golan himself is the director, Austin. No, no, there is not. Uh, Menachem Golan had a very, very uh, varied, um, very eclectic uh, group of uh, films that he had directed for Canon, but they are all, they're all unique. You have the (laughs) Apple, you have Over the Brooklyn Bridge, you have the Delta Force, you have Over the Top. These just wonderfully uh crazy crazy movies enter the ninja enter the ninja I was gonna yes say, yeah. this is a man who directed a sci-fi <laughs> disco bible themed musical a you know franco nero as a texan ninja <laughs> you have the delta force which has more oscar winners in it than any uh any other canon film i'm sure and they should have won an extra one for this one if you ask oh i mean at least for the score right alan silvestri uh following up back to the future with the delta force score (laughs) (laughs) and of course an arm wrestling movie so yeah he Uh, he was he could do it all as a director um we talked about it lee marvin this is his final film you know it's got that I always remember him just when he get they get the order, take him down. It's just, he's awesome. I mean, Lee Marvin was a man's man. But is it true? Was that supposed to be Charles Bronson? It was originally pre-sold as a Chuck Norris and Charles Bronson movie. Canon just did not get enough of the advanced sales to pay both of their salaries. <laughs> that's That's what happened there. That's insane. That is insane to think about because I think if you can go back in time, that would change. Yeah, people would be like, "Whoa, wait!" Because that would be monumental. But at the same time, would the entire universe collapse on itself? What do you say, Chad? I, I think we we've already talked about multiverses and alternate universes and stuff like that. I don't know what would happen to our universe had those two shared the screen. And 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 I I fear for 
the villains, you know, how much can these guys take? <laughs> they can't take Bronson. That's, and that's true too. The movie would have been maybe possibly 10 minutes long. It's just people laughing at the, the bad guys. Like, Oh yeah, you're going to blow up this plane. Yeah. Sure. It's like, they're like, yeah, they just get on like, Hey, we're coming. Oh, well, never mind then. We'll, we'll just <laughs> let, we'll let everybody go. We're going back home. And, and Chuck had, it, had the awesome motorcycle. What would have, what would Charles Bronson have had? Yeah. <laughs> he could have had something even cooler. Oh, I'm sure it would have been, you know, like a, a mini tank gosh. of some sort. Maybe. I was going to, I was going to say like a, a convertible Cadillac with like a mini gun, <laughs> like right on the hood or something, <laughs> something that's a, you know, 65 year old, 66, whatever Chuck Nor or Charles Bronson was at this point. Like what I could have seen him driving in life in real life, minus the, uh, minus the weaponry. I think that we didn't deserve it and we didn't get it, but you know, Lee Marvin is, is so amazing in the role. And I think Lee. that he's, he's old enough to like, I don't know. I, I, when I see, if I saw Charles Bronson and Chuck together, I think like, okay, who's in charge here? But Lee Marvin is always in charge. All right. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. The, the white hair made him seem more of the elder statesman of the military mm -hmm. world. Yeah, they when they when they changed it out when it wasn't going to be Charles Bronson anymore, they actually had to rewrite it a bit because it, Lee's health already wasn't was already pretty bad at this point. But he wasn't nearly as spry, I guess, as <laughs> Charles Bronson. And it's just funny to think that any actor replacement would be considered less spry than Charles sixty. 65 year old charles bronson at this point but they had to remove some of the the characters like actual like running about and such because because lee couldn't do that at this time now maybe yeah, you can I mean, answer 60 this was the new 40 for bronson i mean he right. was uh he was again ahead of their time this canon and everybody involved right yeah and, and maybe, yeah. maybe you can answer this austin i i see i heard that charles bronson was going to be lincoln hawk and over the top is that not right <laughs> well that's new like to me that would have been perfect that is, a, that is a scoop that I am oh. very interested in hearing your sources. You got you to gotta send those over to me. It's yeah, called yeah. Out His Ass. That's his source. <laughs> if I do, uh, guys, if you want to, if, if this movie would have uh, rocked your world, I want to direct you to a movie that Menachem announced, I believe. I, I am in the impression that he announced in a panic at uh, the American film market in 1988. <laughs> this is a movie, this is a time, 1988, a, was not a good time for Canon. A very, I mean, this would have been after the the triple flops of Over the Top, Mass Universe, and Superman Four and eighty seven, all sort of, and then them also just being in in, in crazy massive debt. <laughs> it was a bad time for Canon. They needed money, but he announced at AFM that year that Canon was working on a movie called The Deadly Three. Ooh. Do you want to guess who that Deadly Three was going to uh, comprise? I will give you a hint that it was Canon's three biggest stars at the time. Well, yeah, I was going to say it has to be Norris, Bronson, and Duty. That is correct. Oh, oh my. my. Yeah, you. they would have, from what little I know about it, is that the Bronson and Norris would have been two agents from the DEA and the CIA who enlist a Green Beret, played by Dudikoff, to help them again. Uh, take down a drug ring because that's kind of the go-to plot for 
right. for yeah. canon when you didn't know what exactly you needed your heroes to do. Just have them <laughs> take down a drug ring. But yeah, that that obviously went nowhere. But I I do love the mentions of it, and I try to imagine what what the deadly three might have looked like. I think, you just, I think you just sent me into depression. I... <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't deserve things like that. It's that dream that we've all had so many times over the years, and and then you you hear how close we were to actually getting it, and you're like, no, why? As as with canon, like they, I think a lot of time things were probably just ideas that Menachem had while he was like, you know, somebody else was speaking during a, a panel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like kind of these kind of like fever dreams that he just kind of starts spitting out because that one that one didn't get a lot of uh, many other mentions past that, so. Again, if they couldn't pay both of their salaries for the Delta Force, I don't yeah. know how they could pay all three of those guys in a movie when they were even in worse financial shape. Good point. Good point. All right, well, if you, by process of elimination, have not figured it out, the number one movie, and rightfully so, 1985's Invasion USA, this one again directed by Joe Zito, and we've got the great Richard Lynch as our main villain, but this thing has got more villains than you can count. I mean, this thing is, a, a, it's it, they're invading the USA, Austin. Mm-hmm. How dare they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> At Christmas time! Oh yeah. my God, how un-American. How could you invade the USA knowing Chuck Norris lives here? How could you, it, just think about them invading like near a Walmart on Black Friday. That's instant yeah. death. <laughs> they just get trampled by shoppers, let alone uh, Chuck Norris. Beaten with 75 inch plasma TVs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Invasion USA is my favorite, easily my favorite of the of Chuck Norris's movies, and definitely in my my top five all all the canon canon yeah. films. Oh yeah. Yeah, I it's, would agree. It's so much fun, and it's just such a high, high ratio of just crazy stuff happening, and Chuck Norris like coming in to blow it up or shoot it up <laughs> or or kick it through something. And I mean, it's got great one-liners. There's very little plot to get in the way. It's <laughs> who needs it? No, no. It's it, yeah. It. it it's just a whole lot of fun. And again, anything that any Chuck Norris movie, I I feel like the more it sticks to the action and the fun parts of it, like, like that stuff, the better it's going to be. And invasion USA barely bothers with anything else. And when it is, it's what, when Chuck Norris isn't on screen, that usually means the plot is focusing on Richard Lynch, who is again, like with, you have like Billy Drago and Michael Parks and Jack O'Halloran, just one of these great, great bad guy actors of the day. Yeah. And I think, you know, the reason this one is number one is it's so it's just Chuck. The spotlight is firmly on Chuck. It's not, you know, an ensemble cast like with the Delta force and it's, you know, obviously missing in action. It's more realistic because at least there is Vietnam attached to it. And there is some, sorrow and some it's somber but that one's a little bit more somber because you've got these poor pow's involved but here it's just chuck kicking bad guy ass all all the whole movie um and i know chad it also has one of your all-time favorite characters bit players 
Mr. John Eagle. My God, what a, <laughs> what an amazing name. You don't need an ensemble cast when you have a, a character named John Eagle. And I mean, Chuck Norris all in denim. And Chuck Norris wearing uh, uh, like a open front denim vest. My God, how this probably had uh, 98% of the audience were women, right? Oh, I, I, I would think, I mean, except for Chuck's wife, apparently. She didn't want to go see this. I think they just became impregnated by watching it, Chad. They probably did. And didn't didn't uh, the character who played, or the actor who played Johnny Gill just pass away? Oh, I, I missed that if he did. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, I'm clicking, clicking, must find. Oh, he, this. I did, oh, How about no, the armadillos? I was, He's I was way off. off, never mind. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. The... Yeah, the armadillo. Something. Here's a question. I mean, I've probably watched Invasion USA uh, probably a few times in the last few months, <laughs> just for <laughs> for various reasons. So it's very fresh on my mind. But something that strikes me as funny. I just noticed the f- most recent time watching this is John Eagle runs a airboat rental place mm-hmm. and a like food shack. You see. Um, do you think John Eagle rented out those airboats that Richard Lynch and his gang used to oh, then like no. drive out and kill him? Capitalism. I wonder <laughs> if I like did he did poor John Eagle rent these airboats to his own killers and but then again also who who rents airboats to that you know a a heavy heavily armed uh, multinational terrorist organization? <laughs> well, do you think that John Eagle fears any man? That's true. That's true. <laughs> He's not Sonny Landham. That's true. I don't know. Uh, one I, of the I things, feel like if someone ahead, comes knocking on your door to rent an airboat, you rent it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't just it, hold those. The the movie does have yeah the best one of the okay I will say that I will say it's second best and you guys I will I will also uh, uh, go to you as the action experts. One of the best hero introductions. I think first of when we first see um, Ar- Arnold in Commando, that's mm-hmm. that's probably the best action movie <laughs> hero introductions. But this one's got to be close because you first see Chuck Norris's character riding on the airboat with his unbuttoned denim yeah, vest, yeah. the his 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 hair and like chest hair just blowing in the wind, <laughs> like very dramatic music playing, and the shot goes on, and it's just like you you know that guy that that guy is going to save the usa from being invaded you know from that second that's that's who the hero is i it's just a such a great way to introduce a a a just qualified badass like that yeah i think that i can't argue it it's got a very spaghetti western feel to it where you you introduce the character just kind of like not doing anything he's just like walking but he looks super cool doing it. And you're like, oh, this guy must be the hero. Look how cool he looks. Look at his hat or look at his mm-hmm. jacket. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like you put, if you watch Commando and Invasion USA, you would immediately go enlist for the Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> this is why Chad's a, a former military man. Yes. Um, one of the things I always love about this is I watched the uh, watch this with the commentary track on. And one of the stories in there was when Menachem was watching a screening of invasion USA and the armadillo came up <laughs> for whatever reason, when that armadillo was there, Menachem turned to whoever was sitting next to him and said, this is why Joe Zito's is a great director. 
I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. I just love that. I that, don't know how, yeah. how he made that connection, but bless, bless you, Monaco Golan. <laughs> yeah, that is a, that's canon in a nutshell there. That's, that definitely gives you a glimpse into the mind of the, the man <laughs> that ran that company. Oh, he's a personal hero. He's a personal hero. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it, folks. The top 10 Chuck Norris canon movies. Again, if you want to read more about it, you can check out bulletproofaction.com and search for Chuck. You can go to our collections on the side where you can see everything we've ever done about Chuck. And we've done a lot of Chuck Norris it's content over the years, Chad. Yeah, there's a lot. There's too much. I mean, you'd have to no, shit no, 50 no times a day to read them all. Much. That's fine. They can keep coming back every day uh, and clicking their little to their heart's content. Austin, any final words about Chuck and his years at Canon? I would say that it, I mean, I think it worked out pretty darn well for Chuck. It really kind of took him from that sort of a sea level low budget martial arts guy to somebody who was a sort of box office draw, but it set him up for the great for the, that third act of his career as, as Walker. Um, it, <laughs> he, he was somebody who was recognizable enough, but also who, um, you know, all the suburban dads could get, <laughs> could get behind watching on CBS every, every week. Yeah. But, yeah, I was going to say, he is, I don't think anybody benefited from being in canon films more than Chuck Norris. Mm-hmm. Be, like you said, it, it just basically set him up for life at that point, because I'm sure he's still getting paychecks for Walker, Texas Ranger, because it's probably on right now. It's oh, on I'm right sure. now. Guaranteed. So, yeah. yeah. Chad? Yeah, I mean, you look at pre-canon Chuck and then post-canon Chuck, and, and I think that, uh, I mean absent Walker um, you would think that it didn't, it didn't help his career, but having Walker be such a kind of just the, to me, like when you think of Chuck Norris, you think of Walker, Texas Ranger. Mm -hmm. And then secondary to that is, you know, you know, Braddock or or, or, uh, Scott McCoy or whatever, you know, you got Matt Hunter, but for most people, they're probably thinking of Walker. So I would say that Cannon huge, it was a massive success for Chuck Mm -hmm. Norris. And, uh, I, I would say for me personally, uh, massive fan of Chuck Norris, but also my eight year old son studied Chuck Norris karate system. Oh, so, wow. You know, I'm a big Chuck fan. I can't wait till he kicks your ass. He's <laughs> closer every day. <laughs> and I would say that these movies are definitely, uh, where the, at least the Chuck Norris, uh, the facts, the, the jokes, like those, those are rooted. Those have to be rooted in roles like Invasion USA and Delta Force right. and things like yeah. that. When when you have one man who's able to take out an entire terrorist army, <laughs> that's pretty much laying the groundwork for those jokes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, we are going to take a quick break and then we will come back and wrap things up here on the Bulletproof Podcast. Okay, almost done with this episode of the Bulletproof Podcast. Again, I want to thank Austin Trunick for joining us. And I want to encourage you to follow us on social media at Bulletproof Pod on Twitter and at Bulletproof Action on Instagram and Facebook. And Austin, how can they uh how can our fans connect with you on social media? 
I am at Canon Film Guide on Twitter and Facebook, and I'm posting on there pretty much every day. Um, it's a great place. I, I, I love those places as an outlet to share stuff that I have discovered since the books have been published and continue research or just things that I didn't have room for. I, my my Canon collection is many, many, many boxes <laughs> stacked up in my closets, and I like to just be able to snap pictures and scan things and post them and and share weird stories as I find them. Absolutely. A great follow. One of my favorites to follow on, on Twitter because yeah, you're always sharing something interesting and new about Canon. Um, so that, and of course, pick up the Canon film guide, both volume one and two are now available again, Amazon bear Manor media or your local bookstore. If you'd like to support your local retail. And I, I'm sure you're probably already working on volume three. Is that uh an accurate statement. That is correct. My uh, my nose has been at the grindstone for for a while now, but it's a long ways off. There's a lot of work to be done on this one, but I'm I'm excited. It's got some fun stuff that uh, I, beyond just getting to cover the some of the the odd direct to video action that they they did in the early '90s and the rise of Van Damme at Canon. Mm, yes. uh, there, there is a I'm having a lot of fun writing about all of the unmade canon movies. The a large part of the book will be dedicated to trying to put together what the 150 plus canon movies that canon announced but just never never funded, never ended up making what they might have looked like had they actually gone through. And <laughs> that includes many Chuck Norris movies, many Michael Dudikoff movies, a handful of crazy sounding Bronsons, so it, it's it's I'm having a lot of fun, especially with with working on that part. Well, and yeah, and volume two is so big; it might take everybody that long before they even can think about like when volume three is coming out. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a doorstop. It is a massive doorstop level book. <laughs> All right, Chad. Well, next time here on the Bulletproof Podcast, we're going to keep this cannon train rolling because we are going to be celebrating the 35th anniversary of Masters of the Universe. Well, you know, for a moment, I thought you were going to say Runaway Train uh, no. with Canon, but that would have been fun. <laughs> but yeah, 35th anniversary Masters of the Universe, uh, a movie that you and I both love. And and I know that we'll have a, a guest, a special guest on that podcast as well. And I yeah. don't know if anyone who, loves it as much as he does. Yeah, who better to talk about a movie based on a toy line than our own friend from Figures Toy Company, Christy Petrillo, the toy man, will be back here on the podcast to talk Masters of the Universe. And yeah, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to besmirch the name of Orko. Oh, by for God. At least how dare you. And I want to I want to give one last question to Austin before we lose him. Oh, fire away. Okay, so we Please. have Christy Petrillo, the toy man with figurestoycompany.com. We've been pitching over the last few years that we've known Toy Man a line of action figures that are just kind of dedicated to uh, the, these characters who, you know, Paul Kersey, the guys who didn't get the action figures that we so desired as kids. If you could make, let's just say, three action figures, or let's go five. Ooh. From your Ooh. canon uh, love, from from all your years of, uh, of of watching and following canon films, who would you make? Oh boy! Well, okay. So I mean, we need a Steve James character or toy, obviously. Uh, and I've I've got to go with his American Ninja character, um, Curtis Jackson. Oh that's yeah, that's right. 
That's um, right. I mean, you you would need to have those the the two swords that giant knives. Into, <laughs> yeah, that just tuck into a compartment that yes. you just don't know where it would go in his vest. But I'll leave that to the toy designer to Re- to figure out a removable 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 vest <laughs> a vest that you could take off easily. Yes, yes, and you could fit swords under it without it looking uh, anything other than skin tight, as it does in the movie. Oh boy, I. I would say a Shokasugi, but even better would be the silver uh, mask demon silver ninja mask. from yeah. Revenge. That would be such a cool looking toy. But, hmm. Other characters. I mean, Paul Kersey is somebody you would need. I, w- I, would, I would really hope for a... I would prefer a slightly later in the Death Wish series like Paul Kersey, like a Death Wish 4 when you've got the very white, or even Death Wish 3 when he's got that kind of like streak of like white in his hair yeah a little salt and pepper look yeah but i he would in either movie i guess you could give him the the rocket launcher grenade launcher that would have to be the accessory that would go with it um i mean this is this isn't action here but i would love a mr boogalow from uh (laughs) from the apple i think that would be a fun uh you'd have to have one of the with the, the fabric capes uh, that you you had on the old like Darth Vader figures, and then oh gosh, gosh, this is this is tough. Again, I feel like there's probably plenty. Somebody has to have done some Van Damme figures at some point that would have would have worked. But but is there a Chong Lee figure that would be? Oh, oh mama, would be cool. that would be good. It would take a lot of plastic. That would be an expensive <laughs> figure to produce. Yeah, would it be too top heavy? Would it be able to stand with those? Pecs? You would have to have, you know, the little uh, little toggle on the back that moved the pecs. I think. <laughs> yeah, you just like press the button. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't remember any of my toys in the '80s being able to stand on their own. So that's true. That's I would, true. That, I that's wouldn't funny. mind if I wouldn't mind if I had to prop Chong Lee up against a soda can or something to, to be able to play with them. <laughs> Just imagine a, a a a Kumite box set of like five oh, figures. That, that would be, would be cool. unbelievable. Yeah, come on, Toy Man. What the hell? Get We've his... been asking you for this. We keep bringing you on the show. Oh, so many good sorry. ideas here. I don't know what he's yeah, doing. Yeah, we're just trying to give you money, and you're <laughs> all you're doing is nothing, basically. I hope you're listening to this, Toy Man. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll save this for our next episode when we talk with him. And do oh yeah, I hope it. You just open it with it harassing him, though. It's it's Always. what I do best sometimes on this show, so <laughs> may as well go with my strengths. All right. Thanks again, Austin, for joining us and oh, for your time. You. Uh, we'll let you get back to work on Volume 3 because I'm I'm sure you'll be busy doing that, Chad. I guess thank you as well. Yeah, it's always it. a pleasure to speak to you, I guess. <laughs> All right. And of course, the most important thanks is for those of you listening. Thank you. And as always, stay tuned for more of the Bulletproof Podcast. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 